0: Good morning, everybody. I want to thank you very much for joining me, rejoining me here again on this lovely Friday morning. My name is Lisa McDonald, host of Living Fearlessly with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Listenership spans to 145 countries. 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites and the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. I also want to take advantage of this opportunity to thank my friends over at C-Suite Radio Network, where, of course, I have Living Fearlessly host page. Podcasts from this show are uploaded there every week. And I also want to thank my sponsor, Halton Honda, for believing in me, believing in the program, and for living fearlessly with myself. So, once again, I am joined by yet another phenomenal guest. My guest today is a remarkable, completely remarkable woman by the name of Jacqueline Turner. So, who is Jacqueline Turner? Well, Jacqueline Turner is a woman who has defied many odds and statistics. Throughout, she has known what it is to fight for survival, living a life that most people could not even dream of or imagine. She is the definition of what it means to live courageously. This Friday, today, she will be sharing with us the idea that happily ever afters aren't just given, but rather they are fought for. Jackie knows firsthand after a childhood of abuses and being passed around the foster care system, and amongst many hands, she learned that in order to overcome the adversity, one must fight for themselves. Jacqueline is a graduate of William Jessup University. She has been featured worldwide for speaking out against child abuse and the foster care systems. She has directed outreaches for the homeless. She has worked with adopted children with behavioral, mental, and attachment disorders. She is the director of Respite for Defending the Cause Regional Alliance. She is a part-time preacher and youth director to at-risk and low-income youth. And her legacy of creating happily ever afters not just for herself, but for the impact of the world's underdogs continues. Jackie, I just want to welcome you so very much to the show. I, you're just, honestly, I, when we connected behind the scenes, um, in preparation for the show and when you sought me out to, to talk about appearing as a guest on the show, I was absolutely blown away by your story. I was blown away by your courageousness. I was blown away, uh, by all that you had endeavored to do even with everything that you had endured firsthand. And I absolutely love your abominable spirit. I love how you're empowering other people to empower themselves. You're the perfect Living Fearlessly guest. So I want to welcome you to the show. And I want to say thank you very much for the gift of your time and for all that you're doing in the world today for yourself and for others. So thank you. Thank you. So, I know that we we want to uh you know focus primarily on the here and now um mm-hmm. you've told you've told your story your backstory thousands of times to countless of people, and of course that's the story that resonated with people that's yes. what's kind of put you on the global stage mm-hmm. um but just Just to give our listeners, though, a little bit before we move on to the trajectory of what you're doing now and all the things that you've got outlined for yourself and forecasted in the future, um, let's just give the listeners an opportunity for those who may not be familiar with your story or with you, given we are an expansive global reaching radio network here. um, Can you just kind of give the listeners a little bit of insight as to how this originated, how you kind of became, you know, I don't want to say an overnight success because it kind Mm -hmm. of glorifies unfortunately the tragedies of what you've gone through but in terms of the 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 amount of people who have resonated with you how did this come to be if you can tell us about your story
1: okay um so my early life wasn't an easy one um i've been piecing it together for years it's one of the downsides of um adoption or being in the foster care system it seems like People who don't don't really care about your life so much, they have more about your life than you do. But anyway, over the last few years, I've been piecing together um, different aspects, and the parts that I do know is, like, um, I was born in um, New Jersey, and during that time, uh, I was born to a teenage mom and then a teenage dad, and they had me on a one-night stand during that time. Like, in the first year of my life, I was traded for drugs for about a $1,000, and then I was traded for a house, and then I e- ended up with a family. I don't know if it was legally or Ill- illegally, but I ended up with this family. And with the family, they owned a church, but at the same time, they um, and our home life, they would lock me in closets, beat me, um, not give me food, and I was stealing from preschool at the age of five. Um, people's lunches so that I could feed myself. Um, After that, at about age nine, I was abandoned and left on the stairs of Dyfus, in which they put me in foster care for about two years. And then in foster care, it wasn't too too awful. It was like my first little bit of freedom. Um, But while in foster care at the age of 10, I was molested for the first time. And after, at about age 10, my birth mom, I believe she was my birth mom, came to court and said, um, I don't know if she wanted me back or what was going on, but I was whisked into family court for all of maybe five minutes because the foster care lady said that um, she doesn't know if this is my mom and I shouldn't go with her and she just wants money. So they whisked me in the court and for like five minutes they asked me if I wanted to go with this lady and I said no. And then I went back into foster care for another year, and then at the age of 11, my birth father came along, and um, living with him was really difficult because he he comes from a family of boxers, so there was a lot of, of beatings and, and getting punched in the face. I still, to this day, have, like, a nick in my eyebrow, a chunk missing from my lip, one ear that's a little bit more closed than the other, and it's, like, it's interesting because I look in the mirror and I still see the scars, but... Every year that passes, it's becoming more and more beautiful because I remember, you know what? I made it.
0: Beautiful. Mm -hmm.
1: And then, um, so anyway, after that, I started, at about 16, I started running away to Philadelphia. Um, In Philadelphia, it was really difficult because that's like pedophile city for um, young girls and young runaways. While out there, um, it was hard. Um, There was a security guard who was working at a Greyhound bus station while I was there, I wanted to go and see this movie, and it was called The Passion of the Christ. So I got a movie ticket to go into The Passion of the Christ, and that was the place where I only made it through. If you've ever seen that movie, it's like a really hard story about Mm -hmm. the life of Jesus. Anyway, about 20 minutes into it, I just went outside the door, and I just started bawling because as I was seeing Jesus get beaten, I just felt like, you know what, I'm living this life, and I was so angry at God in that moment because I was like, you know, I'm in this situation, too, but the difference between me and you is you can stop it. Mm-hmm. And I remember at that very moment just having this, like, this insider being spoken to by the Lord, and it was like, I want you to teach people about the love that comes through suffering. And I remember thinking, what? I don't want to teach people about the love that comes through <laughs> suffering. I've <laughs> suffered enough. Anyway, mm-hmm. so... And then at um, when I got taken back, I finally I got arrested because I was trying to steal clothes um, so that I can re- look a little bit better because it was almost a week I had been out in Philadelphia on my own. I ended up going back home, and when I went back home, I went into a YES program for Runaways. And while there, I got a counselor, and this counselor, um, every single day after counseling, he would end up um, doing things sexually to me. Um, And I've always, like, until I was about 23 and I went through therapy from, like, 21 to 23 at a ministry program in Northern California, until that point, I had always carried the shame of letting a 40-year-old man hurt me. Mm -hmm. Um, and um, And then at 17, I kept running away, and I ended up this one day to kind of stop my dad from beating me up even more. Um, he had a picture of me and he, my grandpa was over and my grandpa had just told me how beautiful I looked when my grandpa left, my dad kept calling me into his room to make fun of the picture. And I just like, Lisa, I just was like, enough is enough. And I said, you know, what? I didn't ask for the way I looked. I don't ask. I didn't even ask to be here. Because at that point in time, when I was 17, I just felt like, why do I even exist? And that question was something that I held into my soul when my dad had asked me that question once. He was like, I don't even know how you exist. And that's been kind of a repeated question in my life that I've seen. Anyway, then from that point, um, I ended up going into a behavioral hospital down in new jersey at one point when i was 17 and it was because the kids told me like the teenagers who had also been going through abuse and stuff they said if you fake it they'll get you out of there and sure enough (laughs) it worked so anyway but um that opened up a whole bunch the state to realizing there was other things wrong with my dad and um I eventually got brought out to California with an uncle during the time I was with my uncle. That was pretty, it was pretty good um, for most parts. Um, Nothing happened to me during that time, but my uncle and my aunt went through a divorce, so I went running to the streets looking for family again. Um, and I worked about four, four or five jobs, kept myself busy. But then in the the downtime, I was hanging out with kids that were like from North Highlands and they were in gang life. Thankfully for me, I never got jumped into the gang, but I was hanging out with bad people. And then one of the days while I was out there, there was a, um, a group of kids that I was hanging out with. And one of the kids had said that a kid from school was messing, messing with him and that we had to get out of the car And do something about it. And I remember just feeling like, oh, no, because the guy that they were going to run up on, he was um, a kid that I liked. Because in school, I was really nerdy and getting good grades. And then outside, my life was, like, chaotic.
0: Mm -hmm. Anyway,
1: so... I came up, and I was just like, you know what, let me do this, because my thought was if I do it, I knew the kid wouldn't get hurt. So he didn't get hurt, but um, the main guy had told him to run his pockets, and he took, like, $20 from him. And then I got in trouble with the law for that because I was a participant. Um, But if I had to do it again, looking back on it, I think I don't know if I would have changed it because he didn't get hurt at all. Like, he didn't (laughs) even get touched. So I don't know. And in the meantime of that same situation, I had enlisted in the military because I thought either I'll die or I'll get enough money to just change my whole life. Mm -hmm. Um, So I didn't get to go into the military. Instead, I got in trouble with the law and I went in like a um, teen Camp Snoopy thing for like eight months. When I got out from there, I was just like something has to be different. So I tried to get myself. I went to this church in um, Folsom, California, and I was just like, I need something different. And I had seen church all my life. Even my dad, he was an ordained minister. The people who had me and were doing stuff before were in the church life. So it was kind of like I would hear the story of hope, like that Mm -hmm. Jesus loved me and like all this stuff, and then go home and see something horrible. So I think that pushed me further into God than away from him. And I think that's a big part of how I defied a lot of the statistics that kids like me go through. Mm -hmm. But um, After all that, finally, um, I ended up in a ministry program in Northern California. And we started diving into um, just a lot of things. And I'll never forget that ministry, Christian Encounter um, in Grass Valley. It was incredible. So I had this counselor named Susan. And she just fought for me hard because I went in there and they saw this person that was, like, super bossy but also um, had so much potential. But I couldn't see that in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, I remember when I went back just being like, you know, kids who are bossy, they've probably been through a lot. They're either firstborns or they were raising kids themselves. Right. Right. it was so funny Um, and then so the bossiness that I used to couldn't stand because I was like I often tell people sometimes the strongest people had to be strong they didn't want to have to be strong bingo Uh, mm -hmm. so anyway um, went to the ministry and we started doing a lot I never had dreams of going to college I never had dreams of like I don't speaking of dreams a kid like me you don't dream at all you're just thinking about survival every day Um, so then I get to this ministry and we're starting, they're starting to see gifts in me and they're telling me they see so much and I'm so intelligent and all these things and just speaking words of life into me and kids that go through what I went through or the abuse or the different things that tell you you're worthless. They need people fighting for them and telling them, you know what, you're worth so much more than that
0: because Mm -hmm. the world,
1: the world can tear you down, but also people that have good hearts can build you back up.
0: Absolutely. So
1: anyway, fast forward, we get into about, it's about almost like 2010, and um, it's finally time for me to start applying for college, because I had made it through this ministry, and we had done a lot of work. I wrote a 26-page paper um, to my dad, just writing to him about my life story, because I'm like, do you even know me in the time I lived with you? Like, kids that come from the foster care system, kids that have been passed around, if If you're a biological parent and you get your kid back, you're going to have to fight for them harder than anybody else does and recognize they're coming from probably coming from situations that are unbelievable. You need to get to know their story. Otherwise, you're just going to be um, thinking they're against you and they're not. Mm -hmm. They're they're still playing survival. Anyway, um, so I wrote him a 26-page paper, and I gave him an invitation into knowing my life. Like, this is what's happened to me. And then around that same time, I was trying to apply for Sierra College, and we were trying to figure out if I could get a foster grant, which was called Chaffee. So we um, asked the Division of Youth and Family Services for my records. Um, all they sent was just a little piece of paper saying I was in foster care for such and such time. and But on it, there was a couple of documents that had um, – a couple phone numbers and one of them was to my birth mom so after many tears and about two weeks later we um susan helped me call her and we called her and i was you know you watch these lifetime movies and all this stuff and you're thinking oh my goodness what's this going to be like and i'm all scared my heart's racing and i get on the phone and it was just like she never even had been gone she was just like hey and I was like, this is Jackie. I think I'm your daughter. You know, you don't know what to say. Yeah. And she just, like, picked up and was just like, oh, hey, yeah, uh, whatever. And um I didn't say much, in all honesty. So to any kids out there who are, like, searching, say what you want to say and say what you need to say. Because even if it goes bad, at least you said it. There was a lot of things I wish I said that I didn't get to say, and it was because – I was afraid I was afraid to, of her going away again. I was afraid to push her away and you know what? It happened and I didn't get to say all the things I wanted to say. So one of the things I feel like is um I had asked her if she had on the second phone call. The first phone call it was just it was really short and just kind of like, "Wow, I found you," you know, and this, you know, a few little minor things and like I said, I didn't want to say anything that would make her feel guilt or shame. And it's amazing how uh us who have gone through, like, the abuse and yeah. pain, we, like, are so concerned about the people who have heard us feeling mm-hmm. shame, um, but anyway, um, so I asked her on the second phone call if she had any baby pictures, and I think it was, I keep thinking back, why was that the one thing you wanted, and I think it was just the idea that I wanted to see at some point she wanted me, um, I wanted to see at one point she was holding me or she looked at me with love. I don't know what it was about needing a baby picture, but um, I just don't have any. So anyway, that was the call that kind of let us not get any calls or contacts back. Um, and then finally Susan told me, she was like, Jackie, I think it's guilt. I think she doesn't have the baby pictures, so she would rather tell you she does, and she can't face the guilt of knowing she does not So anyway, that was back in 2010, and I haven't had – it was hard, though, Lisa. It was really hard because I felt like, you know what, I broke my own heart again to reach out to you and to give you everything I got, and still you abandoned me. But now it hurts more because I'm an adult now, and I understand. When you're a kid, you don't always understand everything that goes on. So anyway, I picked up the pieces of my broken heart again, (laughs) and I just was like, okay – I don't know. And I gave my dad a little bit more time than my mom had when she gave up on the phone calls and stuff. Well, my dad, I fought a little bit harder because I think when you're going through change, and this is something I really hope listeners hear, when you're going through change and you're fighting and you're fighting to, like, make those difference, you're Putting in the work, you're going through counseling, you're facing the things that were so painful, you're facing those inner vows and stuff that you let people say to you that you held on to. When you're breaking those things off and you look around, there comes a point in the process, at least for me it did, where it was like, can those who have hurt me have this too? And I don't know if that's just the kindness and compassion or what it is, but it was just like, when I look at the people who have hurt me in my lives, I look, I'm always looking for people's backstory because I feel like if I can understand it, I can empathize with it. And if yeah. I can empathize with it, then I can care about you beyond the dark things you're doing. Um So anyway, looking at my parents' stories, looking at their lives from the little bit I know, their lives weren't easy. And it's just like this cycle that keeps on passing on to generation to generation. And people don't know how to break it off. So me going through therapy and stuff, it was just kind of like, how do I help other people do the same thing? Um, And I gave my dad a little bit of chance. Finally, my pastor, Jim, he was like, Jackie, I was was just bawling because he was over visiting and we were praying. For one of my friends, I had a roommate in college that was going through something significant and had made a traumatic um, little instance in her life. And so my pastor was down praying, and I had gotten a phone call from my dad, and he always would have the same script, I love you, and then cuss me out about something, tell me I'm nothing, and all these things. And finally, my pastor hearing it, he was just like, you know what, enough. No more of this. And he just got on there, and you can't call her anymore. And then that was that. Um, and it was just, like, it was painful because it was, like, I was a freshman. And and I just, in college, it's, like, that's the time where most people are splitting away, finding their independence. And I'm backwards because my whole life has been independent. And yeah. I'm looking. And that's the hard part for me, even as an adult. It's, like, you've lived this life where you've been raising kids. You've been fighting. You've been learning survival. Most of the things that are adults are learning. And now – You have to accept that that's gone, and it's one of the most painful things because you're just like, when do I get to relax? Yes. So then, anyway, um, after that, that was probably one of the hardest. um, Sophomore year was really hard because, okay, just a few years ago, mom abandoned me again. It's like I can't reach out to her. Dad's cut off now. Can't reach out to him. And it's just like I kind of felt in my heart it's just like me against the world again. But at the same time, I had people from church, from Christian Encounter, from, like, my community just stepping in to fill some of those voids. And with that, I think the hard part was it's hard to let people in when the thing you want isn't there because then you want to close off, you want to build up those walls again, you don't want it to happen anymore, especially when the new wounds are so fresh. Mm -hmm. So anyway, it was hard to let my church family in and those who were coming around me in to those broken places, because especially when holidays hit, it's kind of like everybody wants something joyful. Families are coming together, they're sharing about memories, happiness, like all these things. You don't want to be the one sitting around the table where it's like, what do you remember, Jackie? Well, I remember being locked in closets, starved, beaten, until I was almost (laughs) 19 years old. Um, Nobody wants to be that person. And I think that's one thing, Lisa, that locks a lot of people in silence, mm-hmm. especially adopted and foster kids, is you live in a world when you finally get your um, family that's a happily ever after. You live in, now live in a world where it's like you're trying to relate to them, but yet you, you've come from something so different. And you're trying to open up to them, but then your story's so hard you don't want to push them away because it's so much pain. We live in a culture that likes to hear happiness, not hard things, but Mm -hmm. in hard things, there's a a story of victory, of triumph, and also understanding if you can listen long enough and move past the brokenness long enough to see this person's a fighter, they've made it, they've they've worked hard, and now they're defying and and kind of breaking their heart again in a different way this time, but in a healthy way. It's Mm -hmm. like you're breaking off all the pain to have something healthy and healing now, but it still takes work.
0: Beautiful. Yeah.
1: So, I don't know, and that that moves us into. So anyway, fast forward. Now we're moving into the greater years, super fast, because mm-hmm. I want to get to happily ever afters so. on aren't okay um, fought for but anyway so after all that after the therapy i went to see her college i worked about three jobs and while i was working there i um put myself through school full time um i had a 4.0 there which was cool um my my professor dr austin she took me as her understudy to write about um adoption and attachment theories which mm-hmm. was excellent so during that time i was learning a lot about myself and come to find out my um therapist was actually or not my therapist my teacher was actually adopted as well wow so then there was this connection she didn't let me know until the end but I was just I was like why is she always telling me like I have such passion and all these things and she loves what I'm doing and then come to find out I was speaking right to her heart so then anyway um I was traveling down with my other pastor Mike Petrillo and we were at Um, William Jessup University and I remember it was raining and something just inside my heart was just like you need to come here so the tour was going ahead and I just stayed back and I got on my knees in the rain and I was like God you gotta bring me here like I just feel like you gotta bring me here anyway got up and then went back about a week and a half later with a couple of um, church family members and when I got in there They were just like, we need to take you right now. You have a 4.0. We'll take you as a presidential scholar.
0: So I was like,
1: cool. Yeah. (laughs) So I was like, cool. So I ended up going there, and um, I had wonderful professors, wonderful, like the president of our school, John Jackson. He was awesome. It's an amazing school. Um, my favorite professor, Dennis Nichols, he was amazing, um, and I, I loved him a lot because he was always very real, transparent, and honest in telling mm-hmm. us stories about his life. But one of the things I learned at William Jessup was when I looked around and we were serving the community, I realized I don't think there was a single person I, I met that didn't have some type of difficult story. Mm-hmm. Um, from the, We were working um, and volunteering with Glass Slipper, um, which is a ministry to foster youth. I was going to senior citizens' homes. And I would go from young people age 11 or 8 or 9 to, like, people age 70. And I could always find people who had a story of just tragedy and so much similar to mine. And I was just like, how long has this been going on and how long will it keep going on? Mm -hmm. So after one of these times, I went over and I just applied to go back to Christian Encounter. And while I was there, this time I went back for an internship. And I was working with kids and there was one kid in particular, I won't use her name for uh, the sake of privacy, but there was one kid in particular who like verbatim was repeating words that I had said to, like, my um, my disciples when I was going through the program. And I remember meeting with that girl, and I went back to my dorm, and I just cried, and I cried, and I cried, Lisa. And it was because I was just, like, here is another younger girl who's telling my same story but in a different generation. And then that or later that week I went over to a senior citizen's home, and while I was there, there was this 70-year-old woman, and she was sitting in the corner. She had baggy jeans, a sweatshirt hoodie, and we were doing craft events, and she was just alone in the corner. I was like, why don't you come and join us? And she had a sassy attitude, and she was just like, I take care of me. I do this. Finally, sitting down with her after a while, I find out she had a story like mine. And I'm like, you're like 70 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of like this has been going on for generation after generation. So then this led into 2013. I got back home, and it was just like we're hitting the holiday season. And holidays are always hard because there's so much to it. My birthday's January, Christmas, and you have Thanksgiving. And it's just like this long period of families being thrown in your face. Um, And at the same time, not freely in my own way because I was closed off and had the walls and because it's weird because I was trying to protect while trying to open up at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was trying to find somewhere where I could speak about what I really felt and not hurt anybody. Um, So here's the story of my ad. I go and I'm just like a half a paragraph and I was just like, I just want somewhere where I can talk wholeheartedly. And not have to worry about anyone being hurt because they're not doing good enough or things like that. Because you don't want to hurt people who love you, you know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so then I had no idea that would reach out to a world full of people who were hurting too. So I started getting in emails like immediately. And it was like kids and like teenagers and then adults. And they were like, we've wanted to do this for years. Some people, like I got like four um, suicide notes that people were going to um, kill, kill themselves that very day because they were hurting, and I kept those, I kept those, because I was just like, I wanted to remember, I'm fighting for a lot of people, not just me, mm-hmm. beautiful, so then I started, so then I started, Um, I was like, how can I help them, so I wanted to do a, like, some type of program afterwards, so then I had this idea of, um, mentorship for life how do we bring people alongside of people bring the lonely with the lonely but like maybe different generations and tie them together so they can have a family for the holidays but maybe so it started off as family for the holidays but turned into mentors for life because it's like you don't want someone just there for a holiday you want people that you can create a community with mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to necessarily be your birth family, if they're not available, or you're, it can be whoever. It's a place where you get to either, there's groups where either you get to grieve and just be like, you know what, I don't want to bring this to my family's holiday table, but I do want somewhere where I can speak about it. So there's grief groups. Right now I help with an art through grief group um, at one of the counseling, the spiritual counseling centers near us. And it's like, okay, you can put it out through that. I teach metaphoric poetry so people can... Um, kind of like beauty from the ashes it's like put mm-hmm. your pain and give it out as something super beautiful that no one would know is actually your pain in reading it like a story mm-hmm. about a garden or whatever but really each thing is symbolic for something that hurt you um, and now you have beauty from ashes so anyway and a lot of these things like the families for the holiday program it's kind of like you get out there and it doesn't take much if you have a church hey, say, Pastor, can we rent the community center right now so that we can host a Family for the Holidays event where it's like people who are misplaced. You have college students who can't go home. It's not just foster kids and adopted kids. You have foster, um, you have college kids who can't go home for the holidays. And a lot of college kids are actually struggling, and some of them use college as a place of respite to get away from their abusive homes. I found that out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next thing you have... Um, People who have just lost family members, you have widows, you have people who are homeless that people have befriended and stuff. These people need a place too that they can experience love and share in that community. So if you can build that in your area, please do it. Um, It's not hard to do get a couple of get some hot chocolate. You can get those at the dollar store go out to like Safeway or whatever stores near you get a couple of biscuits or some type of coffee cake, then put a little VCR in there play a movie and you've made a community for people to come in talk eat snacks and like hang out together. It's not that hard to do. Jackie, yeah. I
0: can I I I mean I know there's so much more to this story and there's more that yeah. we're going to here before we get to the bottom of the hour. But I yeah. just I have to say to you, um, you know I've interviewed a lot of guests and as you would know from some of the the behind the scenes discussions we've had, you resonate mm-hmm. with me on so many different levels. You know yeah. I. Used Work in social services. I worked with kids primarily in group homes, foster homes. I did foster care relief so that the foster parents wouldn't burn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so due to a lot of my own circumstances, it catapulted me on the journey of realizing I can't change what happened. You could exactly. change what happened. But your attitude towards realizing that the, within the pain, within the ashes, there were gifts, there were lessons, there were blessings, there were things mm-hmm. to impart. Knowing that statistically and otherwise you were not the only one. And so rather yeah. than rolling up in the fetal position and resigning yourself to being a victim for the rest of your life and going, why me, why me, why me? What you did was you turned, and I talk about this quite openly, turned shit into gold, you know? Yeah. And I just want to say, Jackie, I mean, honestly, you are, you are one of my favorite guests because you know, There's a lot of people who come on the show, and they've been very successful. Some of them have been household names. Um, everybody's got merit. Everybody's got legitimacy and credibility, and everybody's doing wonderful things in their own way, signature to them to impart their message to the masses, which is equally important. There's no it's there's no hierarchy here. But you resonate with me because when I think of living fearlessly, when I think of you being a woman, myself being a woman, no, I was not in the child care, foster care system, but I mean there were a lot of things that, you know, had things been disclosed a lot earlier, perhaps I may have been, and maybe that's why I worked with the people that I worked with uh, to instill inspiration for them. But I want to say you are I don't even know how to describe you. You are um, you're an abominable spirit. You are you magnify and and you embody everything that is right with humanity. Um you know, we need to clone people like you, or at least get your message out there. So it shifts people to going, okay, well, I may not have Jackie's story per se, I may not have gone through exactly what Jackie has gone through. But if someone who's gone through what Jackie has gone through, can elevate the masses and the level of consciousness and taking accountability and responsibility and bringing beauty to people's life, and however small the gesture, the token, the event, the whatever, the hot chocolate, mm-hmm. I I mean, there's no excuse why people can't get on board and do in their own way with whatever they're impassioned to do in terms of paying it forward and being of service to really take note of your example here. I mean, you are a leader. I mean, you are – people throw that word around it's a buzzword. You are a leader. You are a warrior. You are a shero. Um, I wish you were here right now so I could give you a huge <laughs> I am so impressed by you. I'm impressed by your humility, your humanity, your ability to be as compassionate and empathetic as what you are. Um, most people for what even if they had a slight fraction of what you had gone through. And we know this to be true. There's a population of people that retreat into the turtle shell yeah. and and they just say, You know what? No this is going to be about me, 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 because they feel so denied and they feel so deprived and they're coming from a place of scarcity and lack and deficit without realizing that there's a lesson there. So I just want to say on behalf of everybody whose lives, who you have touched, who's and seriously saved, you know, based on those suicidal letters and, and you having reached out at exactly the same time that people were going on a different path, had you not intervened and crossed paths with them, with your message. I just want to say, you know, what a beautiful, beautiful spirit you are. And I I mean, this world is truly better because you are here, Jackie. Seriously.
1: Thank you, Lisa. That dives, that's a good opening. Um, It's funny that you mentioned about people hiding in their turtle shells and things, because that's exactly what I was just writing about on my um, Facebook page today because um, I like to, for those who are coming in and who are um, just watching or reading those things, I want them to know how to fight. And I'm kind of taking what I want the, the at least the page to be is something where it's like as I'm going through this journey, I'm taking people on their journey with me so they can learn to fight too. Mm-hmm. So that leads us right into happily ever afters aren't given, they're fought for. Right now, so, like, I wrote about six months ago about how, what happens after the credits roll, Um, and just the idea of, okay, so the news story went out, all this great stuff has happened and stuff, and then people like to end on that note just kind of like, oh, she has this story that's happily ever after now, And I'm like, no, I'm still here in the dungeon with you. I'm still pioneering and treading through the forest with you as well. But here's what we have to do. We have to get up from underneath the blankets of fear. We have to get up from the pillows of tears. We have to get up from underneath all the sorrows and sufferings. And now we have to fight. Because before, I used to tell myself, like, you spent a lot of time fighting for something better. And in your fight for something better, you saw a lot of things that were hard. But now people have opened up their lives to you and they love you. They want you. They care about you. And it's like now you have the exact thing that you've always wanted. Are you going to fight for that as hard as you've been fighting your whole life? And a lot of people, as soon as they get a glimpse of love or care or or any of that, we want to retreat. We want to run. We want to because we don't want to be failed again. It was so heartbroken and we felt so shattered. Do we really want to put ourselves up for that again? And the answer has to be yes, because you have to see there is something better. Um, you've dreamt about it, you've wanted it, and it's time to like get up and start fighting for that. So now I want to tell you guys what it's been like since, since that. I did graduate from William Jessup. I got an Yay! outstanding yes. I got my degree in pastoral ministry. They had, oh, I got to tell you this quick story. So it was graduation time, and I was thinking, oh, no, I always get knots in my stomach. I don't like getting awards and stuff. And it used to be because I knew here I was doing something fantastic, and yet when people would look around for where my family is, There would be no one there looks like me or anything, and then people come up and want to take pictures, where's your family and all that, and it's like something that's supposed to be so joyous for a person like me can be so painful. So here's graduation. My church family is there and stuff, and one of my teachers, Fritz, he had let me know. He was like, Jackie, I think you're getting something pretty significant. I had already racked up quite a few awards and scholarships and stuff, but at the very end of this graduation, and I've got an award called the Faculty Choice Award, and it's like the highest honor of William Jessup. So they call it, they say all this stuff, a voice for the voiceless, um, enhancement to the world, blah, blah, blah. And then they get to the point where they call me and my legs are like stone. So I'm walking this slow walk. I just wish it was over already. And all of a sudden I hear my friend Jay bake go, we love you, Jackie. And then the whole auditorium just erupts and they started cheering my name and it made the walk so much easier. And in that moment, I just realized you have a bigger family than you know, um, And then, I don't know, fast forward to today. I have a wonderful family. I have a triple threat family is what I kind of call it. (laughs) It's like RWK. I have three families and one that have become like my soul family. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I love them a lot. But they're teaching me what it is to fight for me and to Mm -hmm. like, because I keep asking myself, who is Jackie outside of the pain? Who is Jackie outside of this terrible story? Like who was the person that God created you to be? And like asking myself, would you have so much compassion if this, uh, if you didn't go through all this pain? I think I would just because of the way my personality is, but in, in all aspects, my family is teaching me like one, if you've been through abuse and stuff like that, you can be so apt to getting in there and just letting everybody now it's like i worked and I had to fight and I had to go through all this stuff. And here's my sad story. And now. You do something about it because you feel guilt and you feel sad that I went through that. That's not what you do to people you love. You fight too. What that means is you're getting up and you're saying, the same way you're fighting for me and you're loving me, I'm going to fight for you too and I'm going to fight for myself. And what that means is getting up off of the bed and saying, you know what? Today I'm going to work. Today I'm going to school. Today I'm not going to, I'm going to try and work so hard to be in the present and be in the moment and enjoy this moment with my family um when the flashbacks come like taking time to share them or saying what you need so if that is you know what my family is having this wonderful moment right now but it's it's bringing me back to this place have Mm -hmm. something where you can share you know what I'm having kind of one of my moment use your secret code word or whatever so that you can go and take the space you need and then come back and join your family so that you have them know that it's not them they're not that they're not doing something terrible or whatever cuz we do um one of my family members said something that was really potent she's like when you got when you come through abuse it's like you're walking with when you're on the other end and you're a person who loves someone who's come through abuse it's like walking on landmines cuz you never know when you're going to hit yeah. something that's hurt them and it's like I just, I don't know, me and my therapist was talking recently, and I was just like, you know, sometimes we're so afraid of landmines. And I'm like, but if you walk near them or walk close to them, or even if they explode, at least it's over. Or Mm -hmm. the eggshells, we walk around them all the time. And it's like, walk on those stupid things so they (laughs) crack and you can sweep them up. It's just like we don't learn by being afraid of everything. I'm tired of being afraid of everything. That's been my whole life. Love it. it. And then survive. No, it's a time where... We face those eggshells. We face the love that we've wanted to run from, but now it's time to actually receive it. We get up and we do the hard work so that we can have the love that our family wants to give us and also give them our love. We don't just to have it one-sided. People get burnt out by one-sided relationships. We can't be a people that sits up there and lets our family do all the work while we're staying in a place of sorrow and suffering. We have to climb out. We have to be present to enjoy the memories. Right now, I have a lot of memories. I have memories of my family dancing in the car. <laughs> I have memories of like just drinking chocolate milk till we're sick gingerbread houses I have memories of us going we have a tradition where we go to round table pizza for some of the birthdays. um I have another tradition where one of my um one of my um family members she was like. You know what? We're having soul food because you know what? I'm white, but I'm black in my heart. And it's like just these random things yeah. that my family does to make me fit. My pops, he, one day he came from work and I had asked him a question. I was like, you know, black people have white palms. I wonder why you guys don't have black palms. I think it wow. fit a lot of the situation, fix a lot of the situations. So then my pops just thought about it. And he had that cute little smile he gets. Well, then he comes home like two days later and he um, works on cars sometimes. And he had like um oil all over his hands and stuff. And he come, comes home with the biggest grin on his face. And he says, Jackie, look, black palms. Was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cute. Anyway, there was just like, I don't know. I just think about them, and I have so much joy. But then at the same time, there are moments in the day, and I want to say this as a person who does get in the spotlight and who is fighting for it and who you did see a movie out. Like It's like this. I feel like those moments of joy are something to be had, but what breaks my heart the most is the moments where I can't see my family's love because pain from somebody else has has eroded that moment. And I keep telling myself, Jackie, don't let the people of the past keep you from the people of the present. And how we do that, I feel like is people are afraid of going back to therapy. People are afraid of of doing the counseling field, but I feel like you have to so that you're not like, you're having a good place to get out those hard things. You cannot, if you've been through a past like mine, you cannot get through it without having somewhere to talk out and, like, really see that stuff for what it is. And I think a part of it is one of the things I really want to say to you guys is now that I have a family, in some areas it's gotten harder because in the aspect of seeing what a family is supposed to be like, as an adult, it now shows me how bad it was before. Um mm. And that's really, really difficult. Um, I'm working, um, with youth at at a, um, at a church, a prominent church. And I was looking at a little girl and she just, she brings so much delight to my heart. And she's four years old. And someone had said, um, her name and said, you're almost five. And the moment I heard, you're almost five, it took me back to being five years old, locked in the closet. And when I looked at her, I saw how small she was, and I thought, how could anyone do anything like this? Um, And just like – and significant things like that happen all the time, and you're trying to pull yourself back into the present – Fight for it. Be in the present and realize. I want you to realize how bad it was. Because for me, I was worth more than being a little girl locked in the closet. I was worth more than being molested by a counselor who was supposed to help me. I was worth more than being passed up and traded for a thousand dollars for drugs. And the more and more you press into that stuff, the more and more you realize that garbage that happened to you does not, like, it does not define you as garbage. Yeah. Didn't see the diamond in the rough. And to live fearlessly, as you call this station, is living fearlessly is getting up and saying, I'm worth this love, I'm worth having this family, I'm worth fighting for. And you know what? They're worth it too. They're worth me fighting for because they deserve me too. And and knowing our worth again. This world and our situations have stolen a part of what we were supposed to believe about ourselves, and it's time to live fearlessly and take that back. Wow. Um, So it's time to – I wrote a song not that long ago, and it was inspired by my family. And it was because, like, I don't know. I look at them sometimes. We're sitting – we have this tradition of sitting on the couch watching our um, favorite shows in the week. And I just sit there with my family sometimes, and I'm just, like, overwhelmed with love for them and just, like, feel so grateful they're here with me, you know? And Mm -hmm. then in that moment, it's just like, you know what? You're going to fight. You, you You really have this. And, and like, look what God has made from the ashes.
0: Beautiful. And I just
1: really feel like I'm in a time where it's like, I don't know, how can I not love you? Like, you're just so beautiful. And in the middle of all that, just feeling like this fight is worth it. There's times where you're going to cry. There's times where you want to hide again. There's times where you want to retreat. You know what? That happens. It, it, it doesn't mean you're failing when you have a little setback. You have to step up day by day and find yourself and climb up out of that pit. And each and every moment say, look at your life and say, I'm worth this. And the people who love you, they're worth it. So you keep fighting and you, you stay alive even when it hurts because it matters.
0: Right. Well, Jackie, of course, you know, the, the the time on this show with my guest always goes far too quickly for my liking and I mean there's just so much ground to cover and I think you've done a wonderful job in the short time that we've had to really impress upon some very pertinent information, some tidbits, some insights, some wisdoms and I can't thank you enough because I know that this is going to resonate with the audience whether they're able to participate in the live show right now or they play back the encore once the podcast link has been uploaded which will be shortly but I just want to say you are a remarkable, remarkable human being and I really implore people to really listen and take heed of what Jackie has had to say as somebody who's gone through some of the most heinous things that are anybody could possibly conceive of or imagine happening to a child and throughout the course of her entire life and yet still having the tenacity, the spirit, the self-love, the self-empowerment to not only fight for herself and show up for herself every day and embrace her own abundance and her own greatness but but spreading it out to other people and being the anchor for other people and knowing that that very much is defined and set the stage for her journey, her mission, her purpose. So for everybody who's struggling, for everybody who's suffering, whether it's a story that's relatable to you based on what you've heard Jackie share uh, so graciously and so rawly and so candidly about her own uh, circumstances and her own journey, you know, please take heed of a lot of the things that Jackie has had to impart very generously to myself and to the listening audience here because there is a way and there is a way to surround yourself and immerse yourself with the yummy stuff with the positive people uh people can be trusted not everybody in a position of authority is going to hurt you or take advantage of you um just live fearlessly we're here to uplift you to fear less and to live more i want to say thank you very much to um the 340,000 Living Fearlessly podcast subscribers. It really warms my heart to know that our message and the message of my guests and everything that we share and talk about is resonating with you. It's impactful. It's profound. You're you're gaining value out of this. I want to once again thank my family here at the Contact Talk Radio Network as well as C-Suite Radio Network uh, for believing in me and believing in my guests and knowing that there's a platform in which to share these kinds of messages with people around the globe. I want to thank my sponsorship, Halton Honda, for believing in me, sponsoring Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald. I want to welcome you back uh, here. We do this again every week on Living Fearlessly with Lisa McDonald with the Contact Talk Radio Network, uh, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 o'clock Eastern. And I want to wish everybody a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend and really take note once again of what Jackie has had to say because there is so much beauty in what she has said. And the life that you're living right now and the lives that you're enriching, Jackie, it's just, it's, you know, I'm speechless. So I just want to say thank you for the gift of your time to the listeners, to Jackie. Jackie, you take care of yourself. Let's stay in touch behind the scenes and keep rocking it. You are beautiful. 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 Thank you. Love you guys. Love you, too. Take care and all my best, everybody. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Living Fearlessly with your host, Lisa McDonald. Visit her at lisamcdonaldauthor.com.